All right, so recording now, and today, welcome back everyone. Today is the 12th episode of uh, the suttas from Sutta Nipata, uh, the collection of 71. Today, we're looking at the final sutta of the first chapter, the first 12. This is number 12 in Uragavaga, chapter 1. Today, the sutta is called Muni Sutta, M-U-N-I, and Muni means sage, uh, but I'm going to get into some of the details of the etymology of the word Muni and a very um, well-done um, background commentary on the Muni Sutta uh, from some very fine Buddhist scholarship um, before Tanisaro's time, actually. I think it possibly is the, the Abhidhamma commentaries, meaning a portion of early Buddhist writing that came after Gautama himself, but made commentary on the suttas. And so this is an English translation of some portions of that commentary that I'll offer after etymology of the word Muni. Uh, overview of it, of the sutta on the page, access to insight to Pitaka Sutta collection, Sutta Nipata. Munisutta the sage, the Buddha describes the characteristics of the ideal sage who finds greater happiness and security, not in relationships, but in living the solitary contemplative life. That's just a very, very brief overview of what it is, because um, it's certainly characteristics of the uh, the sage, the Muni. Gautama was called Shakyamuni, M-U-N-I. Shakyamuni is the Muni or sage of the Shakya clan, which was his group uh, in northern India 2,500 years ago, his family clan. So the sage of the Shakya group. Uh, it, it's one of the oldest suttas around. Uh, Tanisaro adds that it was one of the suttas selected by King Ashoka, Ashok, uh, 270 to 232 BCE, meaning BC, meaning... Um, over 2,000 years ago, to be studied and reflected upon frequently by all practicing Buddhists. And so, it's a famous sutta, and um, from the oldest, older strata portion, stratum, of Sutta Nipata, it seems to be a composite of uh, multiple direct utterances of Gautama and string, strung together. First link I sent after the main uh, is something I found over the week, which is uh, from the Bodhi Monastery, which I think is on the East Coast, uh, giving a series of talks from Bhikkhu Bodhi, who I met at Oberlin College when I was there in uh, 80 to 82. Uh, he sounds like uh, a Buddhist Bernie Sanders. He sounds very much like Bernie Sanders, like Bernie Sanders gone right, and right right into Dhamma. And he, Bhikkhu Bodhi is he's a you know his understanding of Buddhism is far deeper than mine, and um, he's clearly uh, specialized in deep deep understanding of Buddhist theory and practice. Uh, and so I strongly recommend these lectures. Basically, uh, the page shows 
uh, a couple dozen lectures that he gave on uh, selected suttas of Sutta Nipata, uh, including, as I said, uh, this Muni Sutta. There are three talks on Muni Sutta. And um, really, really well done. Um, what you all, what I also see is that uh, everybody's got their own perspective. <laughs> His understanding of Buddhism in many ways is far deeper than mine because he's a monk. <laughs> he's been a monk. I think he died recently. But he, he's a real, real serious guy. And so like Tanisaro, <clears throat> their understanding of Buddhism is far deeper than mine, for sure. Uh, scholarship and practice and the real fine points of uh, theory and developing insight and the history and um, community life. Meanwhile, they have um, their own path of transformation and development that brought them to their own interpretations of Buddhism. And so their understanding of Buddhism is far deeper than mine. Meanwhile, um, they have certain perspectives that um, will, for some people, be more helpful than mine or anyone else. And um, I or anyone else would have certain perspectives that they don't have too, that might be helpful to some people, that um, that any accomplished Buddhist monk teacher uh, may not have because they simply had a different path, uh, even if they're at a higher level of development. So... <clears throat> Uh, his his understanding is deep and useful, uh, and so I recommend this page, the second link I sent, bodhimonastery.org, Sutta Nipata. So, good stuff, very useful, really, really helpful. Does not include the raw material, <laughs> does not include uh, no solar, uh, doesn't include um, discussion of wanderers and the current time on earth that much, and those perspectives... Um, need to be found elsewhere. So every teacher, every teaching, every interpretation, every translation uh, has the strengths and weaknesses of the um, the person who's uh, repairing the work. And uh, they have their... These guys may be uh, free, actually, of all sorts of negative tendencies. Um, meanwhile, they don't address certain points clearly. And um, we'll see that even now when we look at the third link from Wisdom Lib, Lib Library. This site is not actually the same, as I've said, as the uh, Tibetan Buddhist organization that puts, it's called Wisdom Publications, specializing in Vajrayana work. This link wisdomlib.org definition muni sutra um, again will show um, the the perspective of the comment commentator or the per, the compiler of here um, the etymology of muni and the background commentary on muni sutta so let's jump in uh, down the page in the section Languages of India and a broad Pali English dictionary on the term Muni, so we just get a, a fuller understanding. Muni, 
came from Vedic, um, long before Gautama, originally one who's made a vow of silence, connected with Mukha, or Mukta, or Mukti, meaning liberation. So Muni and Mukha have a relation etymologically, uh, and then you see, this is a very <laughs> in-detail um, uh, summary of the etymological work done on the word Muni, uh, can also mean inspired or moved by spirit. A holy man, a sage, a wise man, or wise person. Uh, the term was specialized in Brahmanism, or the Vedas, acquired has acquired a general meaning in Buddhism, is applied by the Buddha to any man for attaining perfection in self-restraint and insight. <clears throat> and that really means morality, uh, shila, um, and which is virtue, and wisdom, uh, awakening, realization. So the word is capable of many-sided application, occurs frequently in the oldest poetic anthologies and the famous Muni Sutta. Uh, there's a term called uh, Muni Hood, <laughs> uh, related to the term Munayo or Manaye, Maneya. What's interesting um, down the block of text here is it says that the commentary and Abhidhamma literature, which again is um, commentarial, uh, have produced several schedules of Muni qualities based on the threefold division of character as revealed in action, speech, and thought. Their thought, word, and deed, right? Very much mind, body, spirit, or uh, mind, thinking, uh, speech, expression, body, gesture, conduct, behavior. Uh, the Muni is the one who's achieved silence um, in each of those spheres of activity. The Muni himself is characterized as Kaya Muni, which is uh, body, Vachi and Mano. And so Kaya Muni, Vachi Muni, and Mano, Mano meaning mind, and that Sanskrit uh, root, Man, is the same as human, I believe, meaning mind. And so human, uh, I've seen one etymology, uh, or one perhaps stretched etymology, uh, where who means five and man is manas or mind. And so human is the five-fold mental self-conscious being we call a human being. That's one way to look at that. Uh, thus runs the long exegesis, exegesis of Muni. Uh, the division, there's a division of six Munis. So you see things got real complicated as always. But um, the silence of the Muni is that they're no longer creating karma. They're no longer seeding by uh, thought, word, and deed uh, conditions for future incarnation. And uh, the Muni Sutta is, the, is basically a vision of the way of life and mind and achievement, ultimately of an entity who can go from third to sixth density, or third to, third to eighth density, who basically, at the end of the 3D incarnation, is qualified to leave the octave, or the 31 planes, the Triloka, so Buddhist 
cosmology of 31 planes divided into six realms uh, or three worlds, Triloka, where the highest are formless, akin to six and seven density in the raw material, I'd say. Uh, the Muni is the one who's really completely finished uh, with ignorance-based seeding and a uh, generation of um, karmic stream uh, requiring any future experience in this whole octave of seven dimensions. It's a very big deal. And so that's my take, you know, <laughs> with some understanding of the raw material and Western metaphysics. Uh, the write-up here of Munisutta, uh, 12th Sutta of Sutta Nipata, defines the Muni as one who lives the homeless life, free of encumbrances, devoid of strife and covetousness, meaning aggression and greed or grasping and aversion, firm, self-restrained, thoughtful, and delighting in meditation. He has overcome all obstacles and knows all things. Yeah, that's it's an arahan. Basically, the, the Muni is one who um, has achieved Nibban, the fourth stage of Buddhist awakening. He is as different from a householder as a peacock from a fast-flying swan, and they'll see that in one of the stanzas, and here's the, the, the detail. According to the commentary, the sutta is a composite made up of stanzas preached on various occasions. Thus, the first four verses had reference to a mother and son who joined the order, the sangha, met frequently, and, owing to their affection for each other, fell into sin, meaning they had sex, they had incest. And that's from the Matu, Matuputika sutta. Uh, so all sorts of things happened. <laughs> <clears throat> so a mother and son who um, got together sexually, uh, and that's the basis, according to the commentary, of the first four verses. Then there are 15 verses here total. The fifth was in reference to uh, Upaka's attainment of uh, anagala, Anagami Pala. Anagami means non-return or fruit, the third stage. So there's Sotapanna stream entry, <clears throat> Um, uh, once returner and then non-returner anagami and then arahan pala means fruit and so the achievement of that of the third stage so the fifth is in re relation to that monk the sixth stanza to uh, Kadira Vanya Rivata the seventh preached to Suddhodana to explain the, why the Buddha had renounced his luxuries Suddhodana was Gautama's wife uh, talking to her why he left. The ninth was in reference to Chinkas, Sinkas, attempt to malign the Buddha. The tenth priest preached to the daughter of a Savati Seti. Savati was a major town at that time in northern India. Seeing, it's very interesting, the daughter of a Seti, meaning a weaver, I think. Seeing a weaver's spindle and reflecting on it, she realized the crookedness of beings and was disgusted with the worldly life. The Buddha, reading her thoughts, appeared to her in a ray of light, like a dry beam of light, as Heraclitus would say, and preached to her from a beam of light. The eleventh verse was preached to the seven-year-old daughter of a weaver of Alavi, and uh, Alavaka Sutta was before, where the we heard some interaction with the um, <clears throat> uh, Alavaka Sutta of Yaka, or Yaksha, or nature spirit goblin, or lower astral astral entity, from Alavi, 
this was a preaching to a seven-year-old girl, uh, daughter of a weaver from the same place, Alabi, who she, the seven-year-old girl, became a Sotapanna and died soon after. How about that? Uh, to me, all of this is very possible. And so a seven-year-old daughter of a weaver obviously didn't do intensive practice, um, but achieved Sotapanna just by hearing Gautama preach. And so it is absolutely the case that uh, some people would have first-level achievement simply by hearing words uh, or getting a teaching, or some uh, circumstance occurs and bang, the light goes on. What it is is a seeing of the deathless, and that leads to absolute conviction in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. These are uh, the consequences of uh, Sotapanna. There are three. One is absolute conviction in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. He is what he says he is. He achieved indeed what he said he did, the path, uh, the, the Dhamma, the teachings really do uh, lead to the end of suffering or the end of rebirth and the community is a is an important place uh, or group to support that and uh, freedom from attachment to rites and rituals meaning a deep understanding that behavior doesn't liberate but transformation of awareness does and then finally um, a freedom from belief or trust in views of self, uh, an initial grasp of, uh, not grasp exactly, but initial glimpse of anatta, no self or insubstantiality. That all comes with Sotapanna. She, a seven-year-old, achieved Sotapanna. That absolutely does happen and um, died soon after, probably because karmically it would have been better for her not uh, to continue on. Uh, the twelfth verse preached to a Brahmin, Thirteenth, in reference to a treasurer of Savati who joined the order and left it three times. And so not everybody is um, perfectly achieved at the first pass. He joined and left three times. On the fourth time, joined because he became an Arahan. The fourth, fourteenth, was in reference to the Buddhist cousin Nanda, who was being teased by the monks even after he had attained Arahanship. <laughs> so you still have politics. Maybe people were jealous because he was the cousin of Gautama. The last 15th was in defense of a monk for whom a hunter conceived a friendship, providing him, the monk, with alms or food. The monk was a forest dweller, and then men, or some of the community, not the monks, blamed him, the monk, saying he had told the hunter of the animal's haunts, meaning uh, you're favoring this hunter, and that's you, know, you have a deal with him, he gives you food, and you tell him where to find the animals. So <laughs> there's uh, all sorts of um, political, interpersonal conflict and complexity uh, that was going on at the time, 2,500 years ago, just like it is today. Uh, so this composite sutta, uh, Muni Sutta, uh, 15 verses or stanzas, um, is really very deep. And I'll read it through once absolutely a number of uh, these verses, or all of them, <laughs> essentially, are beyond my full comprehension, clearly, because it explains the one who's completely free, the one who really um, has no karmic basis and no 
mind activity of grasping aversion ignorance sufficient to have any metaphysical basis for rebirth in the seven dimensions of the octave or 31 planes they're beyond uh, unity beyond late sixth density way beyond higher self uh, at the level of Gautama or Nityananda uh, Chuang Tzu says, uh, leap into the boundless and make it your home. <clears throat> the Muni is one who is now at home in infinity. And uh, much of this sutta is, is um, way beyond any of us here. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so this is uh, what the summit of the mountain or the summit of achievement looks like. Uh, from our, from a 3D perspective where there's still a body and a mind and uh, self-consciousness that is uh, thoroughly purified of ignorance and all uh, distorted tendencies. <clears throat> so again, the first four verses associated with that mother and son who got together in the Sangha. And so I will read the whole sutta through and... Uh, comment as best I can. So this is translated by Tanasaro Bhikkhu, Sutta Nipato 12, 112, the sage or Muni. Danger is born from intimacy. A home gives birth to dust. Free from a home, free from intimacy, such is the vision of the sage. Let's just say Muni. Who, destroying what's born wouldn't plant again or nourish what's taking birth. I'll read that again. Who, destroying what's born, wouldn't plant again or nourish what's taking birth. They call him the wandering solitary Muni. He, the great seer, has seen the state of peace. Nibbana. Considering the ground, crushing the seed... He wouldn't nourish the sap. Truly, Amuni, seer of the ending of birth, abandoning conjecture, he cannot be classified. <clears throat> Knowing all dwellings, not longing for anyone anywhere, truly, Amuni, with no coveting, without greed, he does not build, for he has gone beyond. Conquering all, knowing all, wise. With regard to all things, unsmeared. Abandoning all, in the ending of craving, released. The enlightened call him a Muni. With discernment, his strength, well endowed in habit and practice, centered, delighting in jhana, mindful, released from attachments, Free from rigidity, free from ashrava or effluent, meaning mental distorted mind flow. The enlightened call him a muni. The solitary wandering muni, uncomplacent, unshaken by praise or blame, unstartled like a lion at sounds, uncaught like the wind in a net, unsmeared like a lotus in water, leader of others, by others unled. 
the enlightened call him a muni who becomes like the pillar at a bathing ford which i'll explain later when others speak in extremes he without passion his senses well centered the enlightened call him a muni truly poised straight as a shuttle he loathes evil actions pondering what is consonant and discordant the enlightened call him a muni restrained in mind he does no evil young and middle-aged the sage self-controlled never angered he angers none the enlightened call him a muni from the best the middling the leftovers he receives alms sustaining himself on what others give neither flattering nor speaking disparagement the enlightened call him a muni the wandering sage meaning muni abstaining from sex in youth bound by no one abstaining from intoxication complacency totally apart the enlightened call him a muni knowing the world seeing the highest goal crossing the ocean the flood such meaning tathagata or tatata meaning suchness meaning <laughs> in reality his chains broken unattached without effluent meaning ashrava or uh, taints of mind the enlightened call him a muni these two are different they dwell far apart the householder supporting a wife and the unselfish one of good practices slaying other beings the householder is unrestrained constantly the muni protects other beings is controlled just as the crested blue-necked peacock when flying never matches the wild goose in speed even so the householder never keeps up with the monk the sage the muni secluded in the forest doing janna so <laughs> this is the uh, summit uh of um the hero the the vira the virya the the one who um um has exerted maximal effort and achieved uh, the end of soul evolution in the octave uh let me get into the details <clears throat> the first verse is very deep and the, the the first four verses actually are very deep they're much more than saying um don't have sex with your mother in the sangha um danger is born from intimacy uh intimacy the, there are a lot of footnotes here intimacy tanasaro writes as uh, craving and views um craving is uh tana views uh the buddhist view of views <laughs> the buddhist view ultimately is that whatever arises ceases and whatever ceases has arisen whatever subject to birth subject to death impermanence or arising and passing away is uh, the nature of all phenomena uh, outer and inner uh in in existence uh for one who uh, is not yet fully enlightened and so uh, a critical perspective uh on buddhist teaching as middle way from nagarjuna 
who came late, much later than Gautama, is um, neither affirmation nor negation. <laughs> and so that's why Gautama called the Buddhist teaching the Dhamma a raft. It's not essential, essentially true. And all, that's why the, the Zen Chan in China, they say, if you see the Buddha on the road, kill him. Or Yunmen, my friend in China, asked, what's the Buddha? He said, a, a shit-wiping stick. Uh, very rude. Uh, and not very Indic, but c- cynic or Chinese mind, they could take that because <laughs> they're a little more mellow. In India, they attack him for saying that. What he means is um, everything is Buddha or everything is Godhead or everything is um, light and unencumbered and freedom. There's no good and bad. And there's no right and wrong. That's the law of one, right? <laughs> uh, that's called um, absolute view or beyond affirmation and negation. That all talk of better and worse and good and bad and high and low and virtue vice um, is empty, sunya. And that's why the essential Buddhist view is um, a statement of impermanence. Uh, because it's clearly observable. And it's all that's needed <laughs> to get out of it. Uh, and the three marks, the three characteristics, anicca, dukkha. Right? So impermanence, changeableness, uh, anatta, no self, or insubstantiality, or non-separativeness, that, that all is, <laughs> all is uh, a single love, light, or field, all is a single field um, whose nature is uncharacterizable. And then dukkha as stress, stressfulness, and distress, and disease. Three marks of namarupa, of phenomena and mind. And that's very much associated with the fundamental truth of impermanence, or whatever we, whatever is cogn- whatever uh, is perceived and cognized, is conditioned, and therefore arises and passes away. Beyond that, um, views should not be held tightly, or should be held lightly, and that's why there is some sense that there's sexual intimacy, but there's also the intimacy of ch- of cherishing views and the thicket of views getting tangled. And uh, ultimately, Nagarjuna is saying that that the middle way or essential Buddhist view is free from affirmation and negation. Free from from saying it is and it isn't. And so, where does a Buddha go after death? You can't say, uh, where is the self and the skandhas? There's no self in, there's no self out. It's neither in nor out, neither both in and out. Uh, <clears throat> this is basically the inconceivability of reality. And um, that's all that can be said. <laughs> that's absolute view, which cannot be put into um, differentiated words very well. So absolute view is the view that reality is beyond affirmation negation. <laughs> that, that reality is inconceivable. And all conception is some degree of maya or illusion, Ra said, right? The, the illusion of limits, the concept of light, the concept of affinity, concepts or ultimately illusory temporary appearances. 
and reality, this moment um, is uh, in its fullness uh, far greater than its conceptual, uh, our conceptual recognition. And uh, when one knows samadhi or stillness of mind or silence of mind in a steady state, as Ra said, um, it can be seen. It can be seen, and the deathless is what has not arisen. So enlightenment as the deathless means what has not been born, therefore cannot die. What has not been born is beyond the five skandhas. <laughs> it's a moment of freedom from activity of the five skandhas, one can say. And so that's why um, one of the dangers is views. And you see all sorts of people, me too, everybody, more or less is attached to view. And right view ultimately is the view that that realizes um, that views are illusory and relative and not absolute statements of, of reality. That's a portion of right view. And so anyway, danger born from intimacy, a home gives birth to dust. Uh, what kind of dust? Passion, aversion, delusion, meaning the three poisons. Passion, aversion, delusion is um, Tanisaro's write-up of the three poisons. Uh, I think it's probably better to say grasping, aversion, and ignorance. Um, passion, th there's grasping without passion and without greed. Uh, conceptualization is ultimately the result of grasping. And so Buddhism, I mean, now, freedom from um, believing in conceptualization. A Buddha can talk. The Buddha talked a lot. It's not silence of mouth. It's silence of ignorance. <laughs> ignorance has been silenced for the Muni. And so they don't make home in any of the 31 planes or seven dimensions. They don't make a home in any body. They don't make a home in mind. They don't make a home in uh, samskara. They don't make a home in illusion or maya or ignorance. And so taking any thought uh, or any set of beliefs or any views held rigidly as a home gives birth to dust, gives birth to trouble. So we're really talking about uh, freedom, a profound freedom from, gen from the consequences of any degree of ignorance or any seven chakra imperfection. Free from a home, free from intimacy, such is the vision of the sage. And so you can see that there's a literal, literal understanding, but it's the symbolic, deeper understanding that's really important. Free from uh, making a home in grasping and aversion. <laughs> free from grasping our attachments free from stuck in desire and rejectionism or oppositionalism, free from believing in views as absolute, awareness that all views are relative. Um, this, these are some other understandings of free from a home. Free from intimacy also is uh, cherishing, not just sexual, physical, but, uh, I mean, again, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not a Mooney. Uh, I bow to the Moonies, so I can only give you a pre-Mooney view of the Muni Sutta. And so this is a humbling, you know, Sutta to read because it's way beyond our level. <laughs> There's only only one who's finished can talk about what it's like to be finished.
but uh, free from intimacy is also free from the ignorance that generates experience of relationship, dualism, right? Self and other, subject, object, nama rupa, name and form, that whole experience of inner outer, I'm the subject that does naming or conceiving, you are the object or environment around me is the object around me that uh, has form, rupa, Uh, that whole map is born of ignorance. And that's, you know, moving out of duality to non-duality. But non-duality is beyond unity. And so unity and non-unity and duality is a duality. And uh, beyond that is infinity, which is the inconceivable, which is nirvan, nirvan, nirvana, uh, which is where the Muni is, although there is no Muni there. (laughs) The Muni has completely emptied subjectivity going on and so we get down to some of the nitty-gritty here who destroying what's born wouldn't plant again or nourish what's taking birth meaning uh, whatever's been born in mind tendencies of mind grasping aversion ignorance and the uh, ashravas or the um, defilements uh, all the derivatives of uh, grasping aversion ignorance everything that's associated with seeking to get and hold and keep everything that's associated with seeking to remove or keep away and um, uh, reject. Now, clearly something should be accepted and rejected. Uh, it's the attachment to those tendencies that's, that's the problem. They can be done as needed um, with, no attach, with no belief, with no delusive belief in self. One can be free of ignorance, I presume, I mean, Gautama did things and didn't do other things. Is that grasping an aversion? No, not per sec- not particularly, because um, the sense of identity had been emptied of all illusion. And so there, there's no more, I mean, presumably, right? There's no proof of anything here. Uh, presumably, uh, free from avidya, free from belief in a substantiality of mind or self or thought or samskara, free from generating samskara and free, you know, meaning mental uh, fermentations or mental conceivings, free from believing that such conceivings are real or substantive. Uh, this is akin to uh, destroying what's born meaning seeing through, seeing the emptiness of what arises in mind. Wouldn't plant again, doesn't keep seeding by ignorance in mind, by desire, gra- grasping, aversion, and ignorance, seeding future karmic activity or future karmic consequence or streams, or nourish what's taking birth, meaning <laughs> add more fuel to grasping and aversion and ignorance. They call him the wandering solitary muni. And so back to wandering and solitary, Kagavisana, the rhinoceros. Uh, solitary also doesn't mean only being alone physically. There's solitary um, as a statement of achieved non-duality. Non-duality, free from belief in subjective, objective, inner, outer, self and other. That's why Ross says self and other self. Right? So there's no self and other, there's self and other self. It's all the one self. Advaita Vedanta will say, you know, self-realization, 
is a realization that there's both no self and uh, self is all, but it isn't personal. Uh, so, whether we say self or no self, um, the Muni is free from seeding ignorance or ignorance-based seeding uh, and doesn't, uh, doesn't uh, grow what has started and doesn't replant seeds of rebirth or bhava or becoming. And so the Muni Bhava in mind and speech and deed or conduct um, is not planting uh, again. And he has seen the state of peace, meaning he's seen, see, even to call Nirvana, Nirvana or Nibban a state is not right. It's not a state. It's basically freedom from all states or freedom from that which arises. That's why it's called the deathless. It's deathless because it's birthless because it isn't a thing that arises. It's basically mm, trans-conceptual reality as is, or reality as is with no conceptual overlay, without even um, any overlay of identity. Ross said in Seventh Density, they're free of identity and memory. Right. The Muni is free of mentally fashioned, subjective, dualistic identity mentally constructed selfhood is finished. Considering the ground crushing the seed, he were he wouldn't nourish the sap. And the the note for ground, seed, and sap are the aggregates, meaning the skandhas, sense media, meaning um, the five or six senses, and then properties uh, properties of objects I guess perhaps even senses too, which form the ground in which grows the seed of constructive consciousness, right? Samskara, actually, and Vijnana, so mental produ- production, as well as self-oriented consciousness, which is the Vijnana or fifth skanda or fifth aggregate, the clinging aggregates, Upadana skanda, right? Uh, is the Buddha without um, the skandhas? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a Buddha. But uh, he would know them as they are. Empty of um, any substantial beingness or substantial reality. And and so that's um, reality as a formless form or the nature of, of all form or Nama Rupa, name and form, as empty empty of abiding substantial or solid um, identity or or nature true nature as infinity or reality beyond concept um, cannot be described ultimately as far as I know I'm not a Muni but uh, all of these the, the ground and the seed and the sap uh, grows the seed or grows Constructive consciousness. Constructive consciousness is a way of saying samskara or or ignorance-based consciousness. Self-consciousness. Dualistic consciousness. And it's written, the consciousness that develops into states of being and birth. The sap of this seed is craving and views. (laughs) So, this is hardcore Buddhist philosophy. Craving is tanha, that leads to clinging or upadana, which is associated with grasping, aversion, ignorance. And so the three poisons are manifestations of clinging, which is ubadana, 
like Upadana Skanda, the five skandhas or aggregates or constituents of the sense of self, they're born of clinging and not knowing them as empty uh, is associated with further clinging, which comes out of craving, which leads to rebirth. And so uh, considering the ground or understanding how the five or six senses, the physical senses and the mind sense, um, apparently make contact with phenomena, (laughs) presuming there's an inner and outer. Apparently make contact with apparently outer phenomena as well as the phenomena of mind. Uh, And by ignorance or by uh, craving and clinging and attachment and grasping and aversion and a um, a, a not yet um, emptied uh, sense of identity a continuing mentally constructed sense of identity actually because that's one of the last I mean the last three fetters 8, 9, 10 conceit which I would say is the, the very um, subtle the most subtle uh, sense of subjectivity uh, because it's not it, it's it's the end of identity let's say like what goes into 7th density Ra saying they have no identity in 7D um, the ending of all false sub- subjective subjectivist dualistic identity um, that's 8th fetter gone at Arahan and nine is restlessness, uh, which is basically vibration, or any um, the the activity of the illusion of activity, <laughs> the illusion of vibration, the concept of light, which is like love or love light or intelligent energy, it vibrates. So they say uh, that vibration um, is no longer the emptiness of that vibration is recognized. <laughs> the insubstantiality of uh, photonic vibration is recognized. We're talking about what goes from six to eight here, or seven to eight. So I'm not yet finished with the octave, so I can only conjecture. Uh, but uh, the end of uh, restlessness is a major <laughs> metaphysical achievement uh, because it's associated with freedom from the octave, freedom from the need to rebir- have rebirth in 31 planes or the seven dimensions. It's a really big deal. Ninth fetter, tenth is avidya, and so uh, the sap of the seed of having sense experience, five physical senses and the mind sense. Uh, the sap of the seed is craving and views. <laughs> A basic sense that I need to do something, craving, tanha, hunger, thirst, even before clinging and what I'm going to do or clinging in various ways by thought and word and deed or gesture behavior before any types, any manifestation of clinging, grasping aversion, uh, ignorance-based grasping and aversion in thought and word and deed. Before that, there's a basic sense that something needs to be done to correct. There, there seems to be a problem here. That's craving, <laughs> I'd say. That's tanha hunger, thirst. It's a basic sense something's wrong and needs to be done. Getting or getting away. Keep pulling it in or pushing it out. And so uh, craving uh, leads rebirth or leads clinging. And um, 
that's associated with views, particularly uh, some uh, self-view, attaditi, uh, um, the view of selfhood, because that's not finished until arahan or the end of the path. And that's exactly to me what Ra says, when, what Ra means when they say that they will be free of memory and identity when they go to seventh density. So, okay, the sage doesn't nourish the sap, meaning he doesn't nourish craving uh, and views. He's beyond the tendencies of craving that even establish views. <laughs> so this is way beyond me and sixth density wanderers. Truly a sage, seer of ending of birth, abandoning conjecture, right? The basis of views. He cannot be classified. And so any description of that entity doesn't work. Knowing all dwellings, dwellings considered states of becoming and birth, also called entrenchments. <laughs> he knows the 31 planes. He knows what's available all the way up. He, he knows the, the formless jhanas, meaning the form, the higher, the, the conditions of 6th and 7th density. And doesn't want them. Not longing for anyone anywhere. Not longing for a dwelling. Not a dwelling under a tree or a house. <laughs> not seeking to dwell in views and craving. <laughs> not, not dwelling in craving. And craving is very deep. And views are very deep. And that's why Ross said only when they get out of 6th density. Are they few, free of identity and memory, which could be considered views, actually? The view of selfhood is identity, and the view of time and phenomena or experience is uh, called memory. The view of experience as being distinct present, past, present, future. That distinction or division of experience, which is pretty normal here, um, is the basis of memory or is associated with memory. And um, that's a view. The, view. the view of time or phenomena that leads to the division uh, to past, present, future associated with memory and imagination or um, what, uh, what it seems was and will be. That's finished as well as um, any kind of view of um, identity. Right? That's the, uh, the view is samskara, made by samskara. That's the point. Samskara or Sankara, um, mental fermentations, mental composite, thought generation, thought fashioning. That's how, that, that's what establishes views. Or that is the view maker, <laughs> not the eye maker. Also the eye maker is Sankara. And so that's the big one that gets knocked out as seen as empty. And there's no more craving for Sankara. Mm. There's no more craving for mental fashioning. Mm. <laughs> That's crushing the seed and uh, not interested in the sap anymore. So no coveting, no greed, doesn't care because he knows everything's empty or there's no things to be acquired anyway. He does not build. He's not a builder of the Aditam. He's finished with that little stuff. Uh, he performs the, the take on footnote 6. He performs none of the good or bad deeds so-called, that give rise to further states of becoming and birth. So he's finished with becoming. Is no longer thirst for becoming or thirst for non-becoming. Right? So the three kinds of craving or tanha, right? sensual craving, and craving for becoming, craving for non-becoming. There's also craving for views. 
And so, whether that's one of the three or it's four, I don't know. Uh, surely there's craving for sensual experience, which is basically um, sensations and feelings in body. There's craving then for becoming, which I would say is basically changed mental state, is, is, a, is ultimately a thirst or craving for sankara, a craving for view, a craving for mentally fashioned experience. Then there's the craving for non-becoming, which is the sense of, fuck, I hate all this. <laughs> I want to be finished with this uh, prison of thought and prison of proliferation in mind or sankara. Sankara is ever coming and going. Even experience. I'm finished with experience. I'm tired of change. And that's a craving for cessation, which is, you know, right and good. Um, but it's uh, the experience of nothingness is just another state. And um, void is actually just another conditioned uh, realm uh, form. It's the eighth, the, the seventh jhana uh, perception of nothingness. It's not the end, and it's not. It's just a turning off of perception. It's really not the end. Because really, um, as far as me as a non-Muni can see, um, form uh, is emptiness. Emptiness is form, meaning uh, light. Nama Rupa is infinity. (laughs) Name and form, objects and mental process. Illusory, though it be, um, is also infinity and um, Godhead, or infinite light, the infinite light of the illusion of limits. The illusion of limits is Ein Sof too, uh, something like that. So <clears throat> he doesn't build, <coughs> particularly not interested in um, building views and building by self or ignorance-based um, deed. Conquering all, knowing all, right, omniscient, uh, wise, for sure, abandoning all, the ending of craving, right, the ending of tana, the ending of all thirst, to um, have changed physical or mental experience, or spiritual experience. Discernment is his strength, delighting in jhana and mindful, and this is also uh, another matter is that uh, essentially, I mean, we would call it, or it's commonly shown as spiritual bypass, or commonly manifest spiritual bypass, meaning using spiritual practice to avoid emotional and and um, practical life difficulty. Um, delighting in jhana, the people, I mean, I met, again, a woman in uh, the Zendo long, long ago who was... Um, using practice um, in a sort of personality disorder way, uh, very out of touch with her body and had a lot of hate, actually, in mind and a lot of pain and sorrow. Uh, It can surely be released by deep practice, but to the extent that one doesn't want to experience it, one's practice is a spiritual bypassing or um, using practice as a means of avoiding and suppressing. Surely one can... Boom, boom. One can have full catharsis of what one's been avoiding, but one needs to stop avoiding it and be willing to die on the cushion or let it come up and die with it 
and then it'll go away, meaning profound, painful catalyst or catharsis. So, <clears throat> uh, but the uh, Muni delights in jhana, and the Arahants delight in jhana, and anybody who um, really wants to finish <laughs> the octave from third density space-time would delight in jhana, and therefore naturally be quite detached from society. So free from effluent or ashrava, um, sensual desire, states of becoming or ignorance, right? The flow out of mind and defile it. Uh, it's not just flow out, it's flow in. And so view sometimes understood the four floods, the four yokes, oga, the four floods of sensual desire, which is craving for sensual or body feeling. Uh, states of becoming, which is really uh, craving um, for bhava or becoming mental <laughs> change. Oh, I see. There's some. Today is a god's worship day, so we have drumming and fireworks in the background, um, honoring the ancestors, hopefully, and uh, the local deities. So that's nice. Uh, Three qualities, sensual desire, states of becoming, ignorance that flow out of mind and defile it. Also, one's, there's craving for such <laughs> sensuality, changed mental experience, and um, basic, I mean, that's and it's run by ignorance or not knowing. Then there's views. And so you can see that um, people can get really stuck in views. <laughs> it's It's a... It's a big issue, and you see all sorts of argument. That's why it's really a much cooler to let people argue it out and not join in unless one is has, has one is directly asked for one's views, or there seems to be a natural opening to offer briefly <laughs> one's perspective. Uh, but thicket of views and argumentation is really foolish, and ultimately, people most people who argue that way they don't want to learn they just want to win and so there's a big difference in one very few people are even look into their own motivations meaning why am I pushing my view if they are um, or when we do uh, usually it's some it, there's a desire to be shown as correct and recognized as um, the one with right view and so that's conceit sometimes called ego but it's really a third chakra blockage. And so uh, freedom from views leads to, or freedom from attachment to views, uh, leads to uh, a natural detachment from argumentation. So again, solitary, wandering. Um, you know, I think that I'm going to uh, hold the second part of this. Uh, should I, should I not? Um, pop, 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 pop. Let's see what I can do in ten more minutes here. Uh, this could be a second week. Uh, I think if I go through everything, it's probably not necessary. Uh, so I'm not going to do a second week. I will abandon that idea. But other qualities of the Muni that are um, presented conquering all which is basically conquering uh, self but it's really conquering ignorance and craving conquering 
craving that leads to clinging, upadana, that leads to attachment to views, attachment to sensual pleasure, attachment to and clinging, craving for more changed mind states or spiritual conditions or any ignorance at all. It's conquering um, the basis for our suffering and uh, our, our distortions. It's, it's, that's an inner breaking of attachment and seeing clearly. And that is very difficult, ultimately, because one has to sit through pain, a lot of pain, not just physical. Once the physical pain goes <laughs> of sitting, there's emotional pain. And that's old catharsis or old pain, wounding carried, coming out in cathartic process in meditation. Then there's all sorts of mental pain or life history pain, relationship pain, pain from disappointments and hurt and missed opportunities and mistakes of the incarnation and past lives then too. And then there's the pain of basically seeing that, that all that I believe to be true is not and all that I've assumed um, to be so is not, and that I don't really know anything, actually, and I can't even know what I is. (laughs) And so there's the pain of radical deconstruction of identity, radical deconstruction of identity, radical deconstruction of views. (laughs) That's a big pain, you know. Ra talks about distortion leavings. So radical deconstruction of assumptions uh, and deep beliefs regarding self, regarding world, regarding right and wrong even. Sometimes, somewhat, um, because it's beyond right and wrong. It's beyond good karma here. Good karma gets you to the point of no more seeding karma at all. So there's nothing wrong with good karma, but it's um, there's an illusory emptiness to it, or one can have all sorts of um, views that also need to be deconstructed down the line. So, unsmeared, abandoning all, ending craving, released, discernment, uh, centered, right? It's um, well-endowed in habit, free from rigidity, (laughs) free from those ashravas, delighting in jhana again, again, again. Um, That's all that's sought, is releasing that comes with deep meditation higher states <clears throat> so again this is what the Muni looks like uh, surely the Muni can come back into the marketplace or so it seems uh, but this is what happens before the the fully enlightened being comes back to the marketplace solitary wandering uncomplacent meaning attentive careful but also not rigid Unshaken by praise or blame, right? The first two worldly winds, all the worldly winds doesn't shake him or her, um, including loss, including pain, including dishonor, including you know censure, including obscurity, marginalization, um, the man who dies on the L.A. Metro and nobody knows he died, collateral, Tom Cruise, uh, unshaken. <laughs> unstartled, uncaught, unsmeared. Uh, And so, uh, don't smear yourself. (laughs) Don't pollute yourself. Straight as a shuttle. Uh, The pillar at the bathing fort is an interesting story, but I can't get into that. You can look at this page on Dhamma Talks. Straight as a shuttle, 
uh, Tanisaro wrote, having a mind unprejudiced by desire, aversion, delusion, or fear. Desire and aversion, grasping and aversion, delusion, the three poisons, or fear. Fear is actually uh, associated with um, all three of them. Uh, Desire, aversion, and ignorance, of course. So fear is a composite. Uh, Pondering what is consonant and disconsonant, or discordant, consonant and discordant. And uh, this is going to be close to where I end. Um, Note 11. These notes are very lovely. This is uh, from the revised version on Dhamma Talks, which are all Tanisaros. Some of the notes are very nicely done. 11. Consonant and discordant. And so delighting in the consonant Pondering what is consonant and discordant, meaning he, he knows what's um, to his long-term welfare and benefit and what isn't. The note here is, throughout ancient cultures, the terminology, terminology of music was used to describe moral quality of people and acts. Right? Moral. Uh, moral v- being harmonious and immoral or harmful being discordant. Discordant intervals or poorly tuned musical instruments were metaphors for evil or harm. Harmonious intervals and well-tuned instruments were metaphors for good or virtue or sila or what's to one's long-term welfare and benefit. In Pali, the term sama, um, even, it's, I, I wonder if it's different than sama for right, like um, samaditi, right view, sama, right, is even, maybe same described an instrument tuned on pitch. And so even means on pitch, means harmonious, means melodious or euphonious, nice, phony, not phony, but uh, phonia, uh, you know, euphonic, nice sound. Uh, Anguttara Nikaya 655 contains famous passage in which Buddha reminds uh, Sonya Kolavisa, that's the lute sutta, not to not too tight, not too loose, uh, who had been over-exerting himself in practice that a lute sounds appealing only if strings are neither too taut nor too lax, but evenly tuned or rightly tuned. What's right is even in that it's fitting, in that it's harmonious, in that it sounds nice, it's well-tuned, and the, the consequence is pleasing. It's pleasing to behold, and its consequences are pleasing. It's pleasing because its consequences are pleasing. It's good because it's helpful. It's bad because it's harmful. The image would have special resonance with Buddha's teaching on the Middle Way. Also adds meaning to the term samana, saramana, monk or contemplative, which texts frequently mention as being derived from sama. And so there's another word, samanya, evenness, quality of being concordant and in tune also means the quality of being a contemplative, right? So a contemplative monk or not monk, yogi, yogini, whatever, or a contemplative, a person who is centered in inner transformation, inner attentiveness, as well as outer engagement as needed or as desired, uh, as well as uh, outwardly connected uh, as uh, however much or little they wish, they're basically inwardly focused. 
And that's that when performed successfully uh, or learning and growing <clears throat> leads to evenness. And a shramana, also sometimes called a hearer, which is very interesting. So uh, the shramana monk or contemplative is uh, a hearer. That was the earliest translation that I saw in the 80s. A shramana hearer uh, connects to the um, audio quality or the sound vibration quality um, of the word sama, even, and samanya, evenness. So right action, right speech, right livelihood, uh, continuing to learn and grow, uh, balanced love wisdom or virtue wisdom, which Gautama called two hands that wash each other. Bhikkhu Bodhi brought that up. Very excellent talk from Bhikkhu Bodhi. Uh, virtue and wisdom, two hands washing each other, Gautama said, necessary for the preliminaries of the path. The higher level is 6-7, right? That's 4-5. Uh, is very much associated with harmony and um, a nice sound. Uh, well-tuned, harmonious intervals. Concordant, in tune, inwardly. In tune with love and wisdom, <laughs> basically. The two and he, the final note: the true contemplative is always in tune with what is proper and good. <clears throat> and so, other qualities: uh, restrained in mind, uh, self-controlled, and the you know there's all long discussion about that. Never angered; he angers no one. But Gautama was angry a couple of times, it seemed. Uh, but that's above my level. I can't understand it. He receives alms. He takes whatever people give. He's not flattering, but he's not putting people down. Abstaining from sex. If you want to be free of the octave, you probably need to be abstaining from sex. Yeah, I would say so. Abstaining from intoxication, not just not hurting himself, but doing not. I mean, we're talking about somebody who wants to go from 3D space-time to 8. So, and this is the picture of you know, the picture of the money, who's done that. He knows the world, knows the highest goal, crosses the ocean, everything's, all the chains are broken. And that's <clears throat> akin to, ultimately, um, the wild goose, um, who is like the monk, delighting in jhana, in the forest, secluded, and uh, fully focused on internal transformation, on mind body or body mind mind spirit transformation and uses body wants nothing from the body or body nothing no body based experience other than transformation of mind and spirit and i'm you know i'm not there <laughs> and the one who totally wants whose only use of body is to support mind spirit transformation generally would be secluded and doing jhana or doing practice all the time, more or less, in uh, the various foundations of mindfulness. And um, there, there are nearly none who've done that on this planet in the last uh, 25,000 years. So it's a pretty, it, it's a massive uh, achievement, monumental. And so it, the, the, the one, the monk who wants that, the person who does that, is way is in a completely different category of um, 
life purpose and personal ambition, personal motivation, intention, their, their intentional set, their life expression, their goal they're seeking is completely different than uh, us who still seek relationship and central pleasure and change mental states and spiritual experience and um, cherish um, attachment and clinging and craving to some degree. Let's not pretend we, um, total, we want total absolute freedom because if we did, we wouldn't be doing some of what we're doing. And so that's fine. Let's just be honest about it. Uh, but this is what the, 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 the top of the mountain, the, the one who stands at the top of the mountain looks like, the one who is fully qualified to leave the octave from 3D space-time. <clears throat> and compared to those uh, like everyone else here, me too, uh, who still uh, enjoy this and that in the lowlands, even the lowlands including six density, um, uh, there's no comparison. And so that's, that's, that's why Buddhism is really uh, completely different than any other, quote, religion. <clears throat> it, was, it was really a dispensation from somebody who um, knew the way out of the octave to a very, a, a very select group of probably late 6th density wanderers or 5th and 6th density wanderers uh, who were ready to finish all evolution in the octave in the 31 planes and that is not uh, uh, there's nearly nobody who has that intention other than those people <clears throat> and that's why the quality of teachers and monks and understanding degraded continually from Gautama's Parinibban and demise and death or leaving till the present. Fine. Because um, uh, a torch was set at the, high, at the summit of the mountain and um, in the two and a half millennia since Gautama's death um, nearly no humans have wanted to um, to reach the summit and um, touch the torch, which is fine. It's a different uh, world and different purposes now, collectively. <clears throat> so anyway, I hope you got a sense of Muni Sutta, and it's uh, really powerful. And um, I hope you're all well. <laughs> uh, next time, we'll actually begin the first sutta of the second chapter and continue on so um, thank you for being here um, Bhikkhu Bodhi and Tanisara Bhikkhu and everybody who helped <clears throat> was part of the sources that I've drawn upon I think they're very they did great work so take good care of yourselves see you next time and good night <laughs>